From Springfield, this is State Week, a program of analysis and commentary on the events that made news this past week in Illinois state government and politics. Former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan's day in court has been pushed back by about six months to October. Madigan appeared in person for the first time for a court hearing today where a federal judge granted his defense team's request to delay his trial. U.S. District Judge John Robert Blakey said it's better to do it right than to do it twice. Madigan's attorneys argued that a U.S. Supreme Court case could impact his case as it decides whether the federal bribery statute criminalizes only bribery or also gratuities. Pending approval of the state Senate, the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services will have a new director. Governor J.B. Pritzker made that announcement today. Heidi Mueller currently serves as director of the State Department of Juvenile Justice. Mueller's known for her reform work and advocacy on behalf of young people. Well, it's been a busy week to start the new year. A new head of the Department of Children and Family Services was named and former House Speaker Michael Madigan's trial pushback. Also, a deadline for owners of assault weapons to register them with the state has now passed. We'll find out more on that all coming up on State Week. I'm Sean Crawford in Springfield. Our panel includes Charlie Wheeler, Professor Emeritus and former director of the Public Affairs Reporting Program at the University of Illinois Springfield. Charlie's also been a longtime Statehouse reporter and observer. And our guest this week, Mawa Iqbal. She covers state government for Illinois Public Radio stations. And Mawa, it's good to have you back with us as well. Yeah, thanks for having me. So let's start with this gun registry. Uh, we've known this is coming for a long time. Mawa, you've been covering this uh, issue going back all the way to the assault weapons ban that was approved, set to take effect, then put on delay. But all through this, we knew that once this did take effect, gun owners, those with assault weapons, these high-capacity magazines, would have to file this on record with the Illinois State Police, but apparently only a few have done this. So fill us in on what we know so far. Yeah, so pretty much like you said, with, with the new law that this ban on assault weapons, uh, people who already owned or were in possession of these types of guns before the law actually took effect early January last year, were they're required to get what's called an affidavit from the Illinois State Police. And that that's pretty much just registering your firearms with the state, including your information and the serial number on the guns. And so according to the um, ISP statistics they have on their website, uh, a total of 68,900 something, so it's almost 69,000 firearms have been registered so far, 42,000 accessories, and then 528 ammunition um, have been or, or ammo has been registered with the state uh, and then when it comes to people how many people that that amounts to that's about 29,000 people so this is in comparison to 2.5 or almost 2.5 million people who are licensed gun owners in the state of course that doesn't mean that all uh, licensed gun owners necessarily have a banned firearm but when you compare 29,000 to 2.5 million, it's it's a pretty big uh, disparity. And so, of course, the deadline has passed. That The deadline was uh, January 1st to register these banned uh, guns with the state. And so now it's a question of, you know, the, the people who haven't registered yet, what's going to happen to them? How is this going to be enforced? You know, we, we have um, some... Uh, sheriffs, when this law was first uh, signed back in January of last year, we had about 80-something sheriffs out of 102 sheriffs in the state 
who openly said that they would not comply, but basically against this specific requirement in the law that calls for law enforcement to pretty much um, enforce and 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 uh, um, exact a punishment on people who don't have their um, guns registered. So there are a lot of sheriffs who said that they won't comply with this. Um, I also did see that the Illinois State Police um, in a Channel 20 article, they they issued a statement to them saying that they don't intend to act against residents who file an endorsement affidavit after January 1st, basically saying that they're going to keep their registry open for people who want to file it a bit later. So I guess we'll we'll see how things shake out in the next couple of weeks. But but definitely the, the numbers are looking pretty low as far as um, how many people have registered so far. Well, also, also, we know that the state's process for this, it's not been necessarily smooth either. There are some issues with rulemaking. I believe you've covered that here recently. What, what's going on there? What's happening with the with the uh, with the state and the state police in that respect? Yeah, so basically the what the rulemaking process is, it's just allowing or, or basically the enforcement or enactment of the law. So so when a law is passed and signed by the governor, there most of the time comes this rulemaking process that just activates the law to actually be enforced. And so what's been happening for the past few months is the Illinois State Police has been in this rulemaking process, which includes holding public hearings where people can come in and give their thoughts on the proposed rules. So in this case, with this law, ISP came out with these rules about which specific guns and accessories and ammunition would be under the banned list and would therefore have to be registered by January 1st, a couple of days ago. Um, and so where we are at now is, you know, the, the public hearing phase has passed. So, so, you know, gun rights advocates, gun supporters came, they shared their thoughts. Um, I sat on a couple of those hearings and basically the, the overall sentiment was that People very confused um, and very dissatisfied with the law. They thought that it was super vague and they didn't know which uh, guns were to be registered or which accessories. So just a, a lot of frustration with, with the law. But now that that period is over, um, Illinois State Police has entered what is called the second notice period. So that, that's pretty much just where, you know, there's no more um, changes to the actual rules. Now it's just up to the agency to do all the necessary paperwork to officially adopt them. So there's that piece going on at the same time. And that 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 will probably take another couple of weeks, I would guess. Um, the, the second notice period typically takes 45 days. Um, but there's also litigation, right, against um, the registry portion of this in particular. There, there's been lawsuits filed um, claiming that the registry, that the act of having people register their guns violates the Fifth Amendment of the Constitution, so um, the, the Due Process Clause. But basically, a lot of gun rights advocates and a lot of the plaintiffs in these cases are saying that you're incriminating yourself by, by sharing your information with the state like this. So there's that piece as well. So it's, it's very, yeah, a, lo a lot of different moving parts with this law going on right now. But but the thing to remember, too, that I, I forgot to mention previously is that um, according to the statute, if a person is found to be carrying one of these banned firearms and they don't have an endorsement affidavit with the state, the first charge could be a misdemeanor charge and then every other subsequent charge could be a felony charge. So I believe uh, Mawis uh, said there were 29,000 who registered, Charlie. And I mean, in that respect, when I hear that, I almost think that's higher than I anticipated because so many of these sheriffs, including the one here in Sangamon County, 
has indicated they don't plan to enforce this law anytime soon. So again, what you know, other than this idea that, of course, if you're caught, there could be some fine coming, a misdemeanor, as she said. Is there really a downside for those that don't register, at least right now? Well, I think if if you look at the the stats now, there's no way to know whether everybody who has a firearm owner's identification card also has one of these uh, now banned weapons. But if you look at the numbers, as Mawa said, there's roughly 99% of FOIA card holders did not file an affidavit. So either the people who actually own these weapons are a very, very small percentage of all the folks with ID cards, or a lot of people are just ignoring it. And part of it is confusion. As a matter of fact, the executive director of the State Rifle Association uh, had a quote where he said, we remain frustrated that the law was so poorly written that the governor and his Illinois State Police can't answer simple, straightforward questions. And they also have sued to have the whole thing thrown out as unconstitutional. Maybe things will be cleared up. I think the legislative committee that will give the final okay on the official rules is supposed to meet on January 16. I thought it was kind of funny because the committee in December had hearings and never came to a final resolution of what the rules were. And so now they're going to try and do that two weeks after the the registration period ended. So that's unusual. In most cases, the and the committee is called the Joint Committee on Administrative Rules. And it serves a purpose when the legislature passes a law telling an agency to do something, the law rarely spells out in great detail how that is to happen. And so the agencies propose the rules and this committee reviews it basically to say to the department, yes, your rules are in accord with what we want it to happen. Or they say, no, your rules are, are off the bark. That's not what we intended. Go back to the drawing board. So this is, as I say, this is an unusual situation where there is a a law on the books that says people who don't register can be subject to penalties. And yet at the same time, the final rules for registration aren't in place. So in the end of it, uh, are we looking at a time frame here? Uh, Mawa, you mentioned, uh, you know, that the, the date now has passed, but they're still working on this. Are they, are they thinking maybe this month we'll see something? I guess so. Yeah, the the, um, the period for for the second notice is forty five days, so maybe even next month. Um, of course, that can be extended or prolonged because it, then it would depend on the agency. So in this case, ISP to file the final paperwork to get it into the uh, official Secretary of State Index Registry, where where they keep all of the official rules. But yeah, I guess it could take anywhere from you know the next couple of weeks to even months from now. Okay, well, we'll keep watching for that. Let me move on to some other topics. Was, as I mentioned, a busy week. Charlie, we were waiting to see if we would hear about the former Illinois House Speaker Michael Madigan. He has a trial set for April, had a trial set for April to begin a corruption trial. Instead, that has now been pushed back. I guess that's not a surprise due to a Supreme Court case that's pending, and his attorneys believe this could impact his situation as well. So fill us in, uh, Charlie, on what's going on there. Yeah, the argument that's being made by the attorneys for the former House Speaker focuses on the fact that the U.S. Supreme Court 
is now considering an appeal dealing with a, a bribery case in, involving a former mayor of Portage, Indiana, who was convicted of taking bribes from a trucking company that won contracts to supply garbage trucks to the town. But the, the question is whether the federal bribery statute criminalizes payments to public officials without a quid pro quo agreement. And so the Portage mayor was convicted. He accepted $13,000 from a company that had won contracts to sell the city garbage trucks. And the question is, well, there was never a, a actual quid pro quo. There was never an, a, an exchange of money. And so that, that's the issue that the U.S. Supreme Court is going to uh, consider. And so the, so Madigan's attorney argued that it would be that with so many unanswered questions, it would create what he called a tremendous amount of prejudice for Madigan if they were to go ahead with the trial before they knew what the Supreme Court was going to rule and what the Supreme Court would say about this federal statute that's in question. And the judge agreed, saying it would be in his, here's a quote, it would be a fool's errand to figure out what the Supreme Court's going to do in the Indiana case, and that holding a trial without knowing what the rules were going to be would be unfair. And he said, it would be like starting a football game and then halfway through announcing we're going to play baseball. And so basically what it boils down to is that the Republicans who were hoping that there would be this, this highlight of Madigan trail trial right over the uh, busy campaign season now are going to have to wait until October. And chances are that it'll be next Christmas before we actually find out what the result could be. And depending on what the Supreme Court finds out, it could be that Madigan walks. What? And it's also applied in the case of the ComEd for the ComEd officials and lobbyists who were also convicted of under the same federal statute of attempting to uh, bribe Madigan with jobs and contracts in exchange for favorable legislation in Springfield. And again, there's an argument being made that there was no quid pro quo. There was no actual money that changed hands. And the attorneys for the defendants say, well, this is kind of the normal thing. People go and they ask their legislators to help them on X, Y, and Z. And that's not illegal. And the U.S. attorneys have stretched the definition of what this anti corruption statute stands for. So as I say, we're sort of in a holding pattern to find out whether or not the Supreme Court will redefine exactly what does constitute bribery and whether or not that definition will provide some guidance for when the Madigan trial does begin in October. Well, also this week, Charlie, both Donald Trump and Joe Biden filed petitions to be on the ballot here in Illinois, upcoming election season. But Donald Trump's petitions and actually his place in the ballot is being uh, challenged by a group that is doing the same thing that has been done in other states, claiming that the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and the Insurrection Clause 
uh, would bar Donald Trump from actually holding office and that they don't believe he should be on the ballot. And so they're fighting that here in Illinois. But what's your take on this and what you've seen? Well, I think there, the, the argument that's being made, as you said, is that the involvement of the former president with the, his efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 elections and including the role he played in fomenting the uh, riot on January 6, 2021, storming the Capitol, uh, is tantamount to an insurrection. And so the objection filed by these five voters says, consequently, Donald J. Trump is disqualified from and ineligible to hold the office of president of the United States. Accordingly, his nomination papers are invalid under Illinois law because when Trump swore he was qualified for the presidential office as required by state statute, he did so falsely. Now, this issue has been raised with the State Board of Elections earlier before the filing period actually began this past week. And the basic response from the uh, elections board is that this is not within our purview to determine. This is something that the courts would have to decide. So we'll wait and see. And similar objections have been filed in, gosh, I don't know how many states, quite a few. And they've been upheld in Colorado and in Maine. And the Trump campaign has filed appeals in both of these cases, including a direct appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court in the Colorado case. So I'm guessing that this issue will be decided probably well before the Illinois primary. I'm guessing the Supreme Court will feel the need to act on this urgently and render a decision before we actually get into the, into the primary season very far. Okay, well, we'll keep watching on that one as well. And Mawa, let me go back to you. You rec- you reported on a few of the new laws that are taking effect, have actually taken effect now with the new year in Illinois. A couple of those that I thought were interesting had to do with uh, the workplace. And one of those included the minimum wage going up yet again. So I'm sure there are people wondering, well, does the minimum wage just go up every year? Because it's been going up, it seems, uh, quite a bit over the last few. Uh, what's the status of it? Where are we at right now? And what's to come? Yeah, so back in 2019, Governor Pritzker signed this legislation that would institute a phasing up of the minimum wage, like by $1 every year. And so now it's at $14 an hour. Next year, we're supposed to get to $15 an hour, and that that's when the phasing stops. So so the goal is, is by 2025, the minimum wage would be set to $15 an hour, which is pretty large, I would say, compared to... Um, the federal minimum wage, which is still at seven twenty five an hour, and that hasn't been raised since two thousand nine. So, so this would be a pretty big increase. And then for um tipped workers, the um minimum wage is now at eight dollars and forty cents. And for those who are under the age of eighteen working part time jobs, so like sixteen, seventeen year olds, they get a raise to twelve dollars an hour. Also, there is a new law, and it deals with paid time off. Now, a lot of people, myself included, we do get paid time off at our jobs, but a lot of folks don't. And so what is this trying to address? So this is basically just trying to address, uh, make it so that every single worker or or most workers uh, can be guaranteed paid time off for any reason. And then it, they, they, uh, the lawmakers wanted to be very specific that this 
paid time off can be used for any reason. You don't have to justify or prove that, you know, it has to be used for a specific thing. But the new law basically will allow workers to earn up to 40 hours of paid leave during a 12-month period. So they'll start to accrue um, one hour of leave for every 40 hours that have been worked. Um, this law, so like I mentioned, it does apply to most workers, but not all. So the people who would be exempt from this law are independent contractors, so like people like construction workers or freelancers, um, or people who are subject to collective bargaining agreements with uh, labor unions and things like that. Now, from what I remember reading, I think of your story, it said that, uh, yeah, 40 hours can be accrued over a year's time, but you can actually start taking this time off much earlier if you have some accrued already. Is that correct? Yeah, so people can start taking their time off on uh, March 31st or 90 days following commencement of employment. And another one that uh, people may want to know about as well, especially people who use vaping devices, uh, that has become much more popular in recent years. And for whatever reason, that was still allowed, I believe, indoors, in public, uh, was not specifically uh, prohibited under the state's uh, anti-smoking laws. So apparently now, as of the January 1st, public indoor uh, vaping is not allowed. Is that correct? Yeah, so this is kind of just amending the um, Smoke-Free Illinois Act, which banned um, cigarette smoking in public places and outside public places. So um, it's, it's sort of like a way to address increasing technology and increasing new products and things. E-cigarettes, e uh, they, they are kind of part of this more recent wave of, of nicotine use. So yeah, pr pretty much like you said, it's a vaping is banned in public places and outside public places if they're within 15 feet of an entrance. And so if you violate this, you could be fined um, up to $250. Okay. And the goal on that, of course, is always to get people to stop. That's what the state's always uh, looking for with these types of laws. We have a couple of minutes left here. And Charlie, let me uh, go to you on this uh, big announcement this week that the state's uh, child welfare agency, the Department of Children and Family Services, we knew that they would be looking for a new director. Mark Smith, who's been in that job for a few years now, was set to leave by the end of the year. Now he's going to stay for another month. But the governor has named a successor, at least in an interim role, and uh, Heidi Mueller's taking over on that. She's been with the Illinois Department of Juvenile Justice. We've talked about DCFS for years on this show. And, uh, Charlie, I think you'd always agree this is the toughest job in state government. So good luck to her, I guess. Yeah. You know, she, she got uh, very high commendations from the people who've been involved as, in a sense, adversaries to DCFS trying to get the agency to improve its track record. Uh, and as a matter of fact, just last month, two reports came out, one from DCFS and one from its inspector general that detailed failures of the agency to properly place children in appropriate settings and how the agency failed to follow the law and its own policies, therefore compromising child safety. And its youth in care awaiting placement report, the agency showed 1,009 state wards were in emergency placements for more than 30 days, housed in psychiatric units beyond medical necessity, stayed in hospital emergency rooms for more than 24 hours, were held in juvenile detention facilities after their scheduled release dates, or they were placed in out-of-state treatment facilities. And the, the 
agency's response in all this is, well, we just don't have the beds. We don't have the, the facilities to place these kids. And the former director, Mark Smith, was, oh gosh, he was held in contempt of, of court. Oh, I'm thinking more than a dozen times for not placing kids where they should be placed. Ultimately, these contempt charges were all thrown out on appeal as the appellate court said, well, he was in a tight spot. He had nowhere to put the kids. And then the, the Office of the Inspector General released an annual report showing details of the deaths of 160 children who'd been under the care of DCFS within a year of their deaths. And the Cook County Public Guardian, and this is a quote from Charles Colbert, the DCFS director has arguably the hardest and most important job in state government. And then he goes on to say that Heidi Mueller has an outstanding reputation as a reform-minded manager. She brings substantial child welfare experience to the task. So here's wishing Ms. Mueller great success and as we said earlier, probably the most challenging, most difficult job in state government. And she still needs the Senate confirmation, of course, so she'll start in an interim role. Let's go to our notes from the field, and Mawa, we'll start with you. Yeah, so for today um, on my docket is uh, just getting reactions from different lawmakers, Democrat and Republican lawmakers, on the January 6th anniversary. So that um, insurrection on the uh, U.S. Capitol was a couple or, or three years ago. Uh, after Donald Trump lost um, his reelection. And so um, now that we, of course, are entering into the 2024 presidential election, Donald Trump is back on the ballot, maybe <laughs> in, in, in some states, maybe not all. Um, we, we wanted to, to try to get reactions from people, just sort of a look back, but also um, a look ahead on, on what, you know, how far we've come and, and what's what is now to come with this next presidential election. Also, a note from the field this week, and I'll credit Dave McKinney, the reporter for WBEZ. He reported a Republican in Illinois is pushing to bar any painting that would honor the indicted former Democratic House Speaker Michael Madigan to be on display at the Illinois State House. State Representative Ryan Spain says he sees momentum building for his resolution, with Madigan's corruption trial still pending. But an aide to the Illinois House Speaker, Chris Welch, says that Spain is the only one talking about a Madigan portrait, and, and his office says it's hypocritical to prohibit Madigan while a portrait of the convicted Republican former governor and former Speaker George Ryan still hangs in the Illinois House. And Charlie, your note from the field. Well, Professor J. Fred Geertz at the University of Illinois Institute of Government and Public Affairs uh, reported that the U of I flash index increased slightly it remained in December, it remained steady throughout 2023. And the professor says, uncharacteristically, the Illinois and U.S. economies were remarkably steady amid troubling events, including the attacks in Gaza and the aftermath, the continuing war in Ukraine, the unresolved border crisis in the U.S., and the political woes of a dysfunctional Congress and the prospect of another divisive presidential election. On the economic front, though, 2023 was a period of surprisingly good news. Inflation receded without, as yet, the much-anticipated recession. And Illinois' unemployment has also been low, he reported. 
and the Commission on Government Forecasting and Accountability, which is the legislature's fiscal wizards, reported that FY 2024 revenues through December, which is the first half of the fiscal year, they continued to be well ahead of last year's last fiscal year's pace. Overall, revenues deposited into the state's general funds are 753 million higher than last year's levels through the first half of the fiscal year. So that's good news also. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for this episode of State Week. Our panel included Charlie Wheeler and Mawa Iqbal with Illinois Public Radio. You can find our show where you get your podcasts through the NPR app and at nprillinois.org. Just look for State Week. Join us next time. I'm Sean Crawford. You've been listening to State Week, a program of commentary and analysis of events in Illinois state politics and government. State Week is produced in the state capitol by public radio station NPR Illinois. This is IPR, Illinois Public Radio.